What if I told you those scattered Google notes, draft social posts, and notebooks filled with unshared stories could be a fast pass to a more fulfilling life waiting for you, but only if you publish them. Learning to just press publish changed my life for the better as a woman, mom, and writer. Now I wanna create the same transformation for you. I'm your host, Erin Galloway, multi-passionate author and ally for storytellers. I started Habitize Publishing to support storytellers, including kids, CEOs, senior citizens, and now you, to share your voices and spark more joy than you ever thought was possible. I hope after today's episode, you'll publish one piece you've been holding back on and see where the journey takes you. Welcome back, friends, to another episode of the Press Publish Podcast. And I have an unscripted interview with someone who was really on like my top of my list as a future guest of this podcast when I had even thought about what I would do in the podcasting space. And Jason and I were introduced through a mutual friend, and I would not be where I am today if I was not introduced to Jason. No question, he has not only led me down understanding what my role could be in publishing and looking at characters and how you evolve characters and stories, but he is just a life inspiration and how he uses both his art and his words to create stories for children and adults. And he is going to share a wide variety of experiences in his publishing journey with us today. And Jason, Welcome to today's episode. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. That's that's a, quite an intro. <laughs> I could go on. I swear. I, I really, I am thrilled because when I thought about what this podcast was going to be about and guests that I would have, people like you that continually evolve in the way that you publish, I think is really an inspiration to a lot of people who are unsure how to even get started at all and feel like there's this expert path that they don't know about. And you have tried a wide variety of forms. And I think your lessons learned in your self-awareness and your ability to share will resonate with a lot of listeners. Awesome. Yeah. Happy to help any way I can. Absolutely. So if you don't mind so going back just a little bit to the beginning of when you even thought about taking your art and your creative self and the marketing background that you had and how you went about creating even your first children's book. Well, to go all the way back to where it really originally started, I would have been probably about six years old, you know, being in love with Saturday morning cartoons and uh, my parents at one point in time, you know, I know it was just to shut me up because I was a talker was uh, I was I would used to cover the the TV screen with paper and I would trace characters and I didn't know I was teaching myself how to draw. And my my I think it was my dad or mom. It doesn't matter. But one of them said, you know, people get paid to do that. And I was like, what? And then like to make cartoons. And it was just like and that little phrase, which was nothing to them meant everything to me. And it just became that thing that, you know, I grew up in a really small town. There were no cartoon makers. There were no storytellers that I knew of to turn to. It just became my mission is just try to figure it out. And, you know, like everybody, I went to college. For me, it was art school because that was the thing I, the only thing that I knew I could do well. 
right? And so it seemed like the natural progression. And not only felt, it wasn't that I just knew I could do it well, it felt like it fed me something deeper, you know, in, inside of me. Went to art school, dropped out quickly because I wasn't ready. I was too young. And then the world kicked me around a lot. And then I fell in the trap like most adults do of how I make more money to buy more stuff. You know, and I was working in corporate world. I had lots of success there as a package designer, as a graphic designer, you know, all these things. And what was missing was the storytelling part. And so I started moonlighting. I started, you know, working from 8.30 to 5.30 and I'd stay up till three, four in the morning and then sleep three hours and then go to work to try to get away from that. And then one day I just took the jump and went into licensing without a plan. It was just like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but let's see. And failed a lot. And then that's when I finally decided to start writing the books that I wanted to write. And that was, that would have been 30, let's see, six, would have been age 39. Um, you know, and, and it was, it was a night that was a question popped in my head. Like, I wonder what would happen if I stopped pretending to be an adult and pretended to be six. And I started telling myself, I started saying no to everything that adult is supposed to say yes to, and yes to everything a six-year-old would do. And I just, started writing. I had no clue what I was doing. And I just got lucky enough that people liked what I wrote. Yeah. There's more to it, obviously, but like, I'll let you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I think that part of you will in this episode will refer to as luck. And then the other part of you inside knows that every life experience leads you to the next. And so it wasn't really luck. It was something that was just planting a seed for a calling that would end up with multiple books in your future. And so was the first book your first opportunity to be engaged with a traditional publisher or had you had some experience in that at all? Yeah. There, so my first, my first book, um, you know, like everybody growing up, book fairs were like the bomb. And I was so lucky that when I worked in corporate America, the home office in New York City just happened to be a couple of doors down from this particular publisher. And I used to, um, once they would be done with work. I would walk down the street and I would stand outside of that window and dream about the day I would go up the steps, you know, and it really meant a lot to me as a, as a kid to one day say I had a book in there. And, but at the time I didn't know how to write. I I grew up with teachers that told me I was a bad writer. That told me that I wasn't good enough. My eighth grade guidance counselor literally told me that I wouldn't amount to anything because all I did was draw over everything. So it was a lot of intimidation when it came to writing because I, the, the problem is, is I don't understand grammar. I, I still don't. It's, it's my nemesis. Like I, I'm not good with absolutes with these go here. It, it's like speaking a different language. And, you know, I was lucky enough at that publisher that they saw potential because I had practiced drawing so much. It was on a zoom call like this and I just started talking about my idea, but what they couldn't see is I had my computer propped up and I was drawing the whole time I was talking. And then I stepped back and I said like this, and I used my strength in drawing to get the first book deal. So I went from never publishing a book or knowing how to write to getting published by probably, if not the top publisher in the world, but like, you know, up there high. And my first editor, you know, I really panicked sending over the transcript, you know, and, you know, I said, I just am a bad writer. And they're like, who told you that? And I'm like, you know, everybody. (laughs) And 
They said, your grammar is horrible, but my job is to fix it. Your job is just to write. And it was like somebody gave me a pencil. And from there, all of a sudden, just ideas just started flowing. And then also what's amazing is what people that are getting into publishing understand are as ideas flow, opportunities magically show up. And that's what started happening. There's so many topics that I know we can cover. So parts of this story, I'm going to fast forward a little bit more than instinctually I would like to. But for the sake of today's episode, because I know we can cover a lot of ground here. So you have your first book and you have sort of a series of books that you're building off of. Can you talk about at what point you had decided it was time to transition off of the themes and the style of book that you were writing to something completely different, either sticking with that same publisher or my memory serves me right in the timeline. That's when you really started to explore either other publishers or dabbling in the idea of self-publishing because you had stories within you that weren't quite being received in the way that you had hoped they would. Yeah. I guess to kind of fast forward a little bit. So I've had, I think with with publishers, I I believe there's 20 books with publishers, like all the big ones and, you know, and all this stuff like that. And what it happens is you run up against the wall of that they're trying to sell books and you're trying to sell an idea. And what you want to say is running through an editor as much as they're awesome. They're also running through an editor who's also trying to sell your book. So you may come up with a concept that you know personally is going to be really great. And by the way, I would go and speak to thousands of kids. So I think what um, anybody that was exploring this did is I would go and I would ask questions of these kids and I would shut up and I'd listen for answers. And then I would make notes like these things keep showing up. And I would go back to my publisher and say, wow, you know, like I remember one publisher, I was like, I sell so many of these books when I do a book, I do a school visit. It would be amazing if everybody else knew these books existed. And what you quickly realize is that if you want to succeed in a publishing world, sometimes, not always, in my case, was that I was going to have to become my own marketer. And that's where I started going like, well, if I'm going to market my stuff, why don't I just start making my own stuff? And I started that process of like trying to figure out what self-publishing was and how, if I could do it and like, how do you do it? And just as the universe does, there was one more knock on the door that said, this publisher is different. And it was another big publisher. And I had another great idea. And I spent a long time nurturing that relationship to eventually walk away from it and say that it's not for me. And then I'm going all in on publishing. And that's kind of where we are right now. And so you can correct me if I'm wrong, but your experience with that last traditional publisher, is that where you sort of ran into your, I'm going to call it sort of cancel culture, where your book tours and everything that you were so used to doing, because you were incredibly engaged with kids in schools. And then when the pandemic hit, you also did lots of online courses and opportunities for kids to be inspired to draw and be engaged. You really, as an author, put yourself out there in every different way that you possibly could in order to make these books and your life, right, as an author, being as enriching as possible. But at some point, the school experience took a very hard turn for you. It was Mm -hmm. very unexpected. And if you could share that story so people can hear both what happened, and it's 
in the briefest way that you can explain it because it's pretty intense, but also what you learned from it and then where it took you after that. Yeah. So I, I wrote a book called It's Okay to Be a Unicorn. And the story is about me growing up in a small town and telling people what I wanted to do and everybody tell me all the reasons why I'd never be able to do it. And so when I initially started, when you write a children's book, some good piece of advice for everybody listening is when you're trying to create a character that is going to tackle some stuff that's tough, you want to make it a character that kids are going to love out of the gate. And it's not something that you're going to have to try to get them to fall in love with. And visually, that's one of the keys, right? And so when I sat down to do this story, it was like, what are kids into? Kids are into unicorns. Easy. Also, kids, unicorns are associated with the rainbows and magic. So that's great because it gives me lots as an illustrator, lots to work with. That's pretty much the extent I thought about the unicorn and rainbow part of it. So fast forward, COVID's over and we're starting to return back to schools. And it's kind of cool because it's like, you know, I didn't really love the whole like virtual stuff and everything. And I'm getting really amped up because we're going to be back in schools. Plus I'm self-publishing books now and all these different things are kind of like playing out. And I went to Florida, oddly enough, like it was the don't gay say gay bill or whatever it was. It just happened to be past two days before I was there. And I thought, well, like if there's any case where somebody's going to draw some weird boundary, it's going to be here. Right. And it was just because it, it was just at the beginning of the book starting to get canceled for all this stuff. And I, I just kind of said, oh, I have like, oh, I have a unicorn on my cover and I have like a rainbow. So they're going to whatever. And go to West Palm Beach, Florida. Everything was fine. Like it was a great, great visit. Everything come home. The two weeks later, I have a visit that is literally five miles from my house. And I get a call the day before from the principal who tells me that I'm not allowed to read the unicorn book. And, and then all of a sudden I start getting these texts from inside the school about what's going down and they're taking down kids artworks. And I'm, I'm so confused by what's going on. But then what this parent, it was one parent neglected to understand is I've done all of these schools around here. And so I was getting texts from all these moms. There were screenshots of what this person was saying about me. And, and then not only that, was also getting the emails that the, the elected officials in the district were saying. And it wasn't until they started taking down the kids' artwork where I really kind of, you know, had a problem. And then a local channel asked me if I had anything to say. And I was like, I didn't until they started taking down kids' art. So I went to the school and I did my presentation the same as I did always do the first one I went out in the parking lot I did an interview I went back in finished my stuff and then the next day I did a virtual with another local channel and then from there somebody at the Washington Post picked it up and then it just exploded and I was on CNN and MSNBC and I wrote op-ed pieces for the UK and for Australia and I was pretty much anywhere around the world People were interested in finding out what this unicorn book was about. And, you know, at the end of the day, what I realized was that, you know, my job isn't to cater to ignorant adults that aren't willing to read a 32 page kids book. It was five miles from my house. They could have called me. I would have went over and showed them all the sketches. I would have went over and showed them my whole plans of what it was about. Their assumption was that I was coming to be a gay recruiter and that if kids heard me speak, that they would be turned gay because I wrote a unicorn book. I'm not gay. There's nothing in this book about being gay. If people interpret it that way, that's okay, because it's all about being different. 
you know, I felt different as a kid because I was a weird kid, you know, and if a person is running that filter, then, you know, through a kid's book that was 32 pages that as far as I know, they still have yet to vet, you know, cause that's what they were doing. And the other part was that they would, if they just asked better questions, they would realize I don't even talk about that book when I do school visits. And it, that's the funniest part is that all this sprung out of that. But at the end result, what that made me realize was it was a shakeup to step away from kids books because the voice had in me changed. It was now all of a sudden I know who I need to talk to. And it's the wrong kids. I need to talk to the adult kids and I need to talk to them about understanding themselves better. And how do I present that in a way that still feeds the storyteller that lives inside of me? Yeah. And when you took that moment, I remember watching you through the whole experience because you tried to not overshare online on your sort of personal accounts, but you took that opportunity because of the attention and created a series of at least one, if not more sort of Facebook groups in order to share more positive messages as the response to that whole experience. You came on there, you created it, and it became this community of people that very quickly in some ways were rallying around you and their position against what was happening, but also you took it as this opportunity to share positive messages and not just share the storylines or the headlines, right? You sort of, you sprinkled in everything into that community and gained a lot of traction there. And is that response, is that part of how you realized that the adults were listening and you had their ears and that maybe that was partly good time? I don't want to say good timing. It was a reason for timing yeah. to transition into speaking to adults more regularly. Yeah, I think I think what it was was it was the the nudge that I needed. You know, it was it was kind of this weird thing of the easiest way to explain is that when I worked in licensing or I worked in any other fields, everybody always associated what I did as kid stuff. Even though the messaging behind it was a much bigger, broader spectrum which mostly if I'm being honest and truthful with myself, what I know now is it was all therapy for me. It was all for me to try to figure out me. And, you know, it, what was interesting was that, you know, that was May, it was March when the book was canceled. And, you know, that was pretty fresh after the brain tumor and, and going through that whole process. And, I had been struggling with telling that story for quite a while because I didn't want to tell. And to be honest, I didn't want to tell because I was afraid that like, what if the doctors are right, you know, and I didn't want to seem like a fraud. I didn't want to let people down. And that people pleasing and that codependency that I felt from all those things, it was like, it was a wall that was just kept, I kept running against and it was holding me back and it was full of shame and self-doubt and, and all the crap that I had told myself as a kid, because that's what happens when you're a weird kid is you tell yourself bad stories and you believe them because all the adults or all the other people around you are reinforcing them. And so from that, what it did was it made me say like, there are adults that care. There are adults that are driven by your stories. Then it became like, okay, now it's my own tackle now. Now it's me facing me, which is the hardest thing to do is when you start to take that mirror and flip it on yourself and start going like, how can I tell better stories to me now? Because for so long, I would project a story onto the world, but I didn't believe any of it. Like it was like, you know, I would have these profound moments with kids 
at school visits that were just like, you know, teachers crying and these just amazing moments. I would get in the car and tell myself how horrible a person I was and how none of it mattered. And that, you know, any self-loathing, self-hatred, I mean, I used to tell, I tell people I didn't like myself. It was, I, I hated myself, you know? And so it was in all of those weird tornado mix of getting the book canceled, finding a community that all of a sudden like wanted to hear what I wanted to do. And then starting to kind of lean into the fear of it instead of taking the opportunity to say like, you know, yeah, screw these people, blah, blah, blah. I leaned into like kind of like being the bigger person. Like, you know, it's kind of like that weird Eminem rap battle. Like I'm going to just say all the stuff that you're saying about me up front. So then you have nothing left to say. And, and then it was like that weird part of like, all of a sudden now, like I still think I have like over 6,000 friend requests on Facebook that I, I just had to stop. That's why I created the, the, the community. It was like, and I think at the end of the day, that one ended up getting like 2000 members in it, but I just don't, I don't have time to maintain that and the other one. And so it was just like, okay, it was almost like the weird little stamp of like, you can do this. Then it became, how do I do it? And how do I not only do it, but how do I believe what I'm saying? And because I do believe that once we unlock those doors, we start to exude love out into the world instead of the fear. And we feed that. Then all of a sudden it's like a big magnet starts swinging out and you start grabbing up stuff. And that's kind of where I'm at now with all the things that I'm up to nowadays, right? Well, and certainly, again, as you, life continues to give you these experiences that because I have the privilege of knowing you, right, you could take, you could have a wide variety of responses to them, but you continue to figure out a way to serve yourself and serve others. And you only briefly mentioned your health scare that came in at this point in your process, right? So traditional publishing, exploring who you are as an artist, then self-publishing, exploring even deeper who you are as an author, because that was all about you. And then the health scare comes and I term it health scare. You probably have a, a far more accurate word, but in going through that experience, now all of a sudden, a completely new door for you is opening and you're looking at who you are as an author for adults. And right. can you sort of share how, as much as you're comfortable with, right? Sort of how that progression happened for you. Yeah. I, I guess just to kind of bring everybody up to speed a little bit, like, so July 12th, 2021, um, I had a seizure, which led to a CT scan, which led to an MRI and led to brain surgery uh, and uh, to remove the tumor that they found when they did the MRI. Um, fast forward about three weeks after that, the tumor had gone through second and third opinions. Nobody could agree upon what it was. Then comes the day that I have my first appointment for, to find out what it was. And they still didn't have the results yet. So I met with the standard of care treatment with what I had it was a radiation and chemo at the same time. So when you go through that process, you meet with your radi radiation oncologist first, and then I would meet with my oncologist second. Um, and the radiation oncologist didn't have any answers to what it was when I finished up that. I loved them. They were fantastic human. It was like, oh my God, this is going to be great. And then I went to the next one. And sometimes the universe needs to give you that ultimate shakeup. And
Jesus. Sometimes that shakeup is also the greatest gift that you can get. And this doctor, when I say that they did a bad job, that is giving them a compliment. You know, um, they got the results in front of me and essentially within two minutes of meeting me, told me I'd be dead in seven months because I had a grade four glioblastoma. Um, if people don't know what that is. Save yourself time. Don't Google it. It's it's the worst. Um, incurable, blah, 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 and all that stuff like that. And I did my whole thing that I usually do, try to bring levity to the situation. I said, Rocky Four is the best Rocky movie. I mean, you know, it's like to which they said, you know, Sylvester Stallone, such a bad actor. And, you know, but that brought in this feeling, right? And with that became years of trauma that came up and surfaced in my neck. And it felt like I was being choked out. And then I tried to escape and figure out how I can avoid this. And for the first time in my life, I think depression and all that stuff had been my home pace my whole life, but I've never had crippling anxiety, like panic attacks multiple times a day kind of thing. And I can't even tell you how many miles we walked that week, my wife and I, just to try to escape. And then all of a sudden, like one day I was organizing Google Docs and I ran across all these untitled and I'm a extremely unorganized person when it comes to anything creative or whatever, but my Google docs are typically pretty much lined up. Right. Right. I title them. So I know what I was writing about and I kept running across all these untitled ones. And it was weird because every one of them were short entries that I started in January of 2020. And I don't remember writing a single one of these. They stopped abruptly after a few months and I would pick, it, it looks like I would pick them up here or there. But what I did was I, I numbered every, or I dated every one of them and every one of them were exactly what I was dealing with in the present moment. So what I wrote in January, 2021 is now directly correlated to what I'm experiencing in August of 2021. And, you know, I'm like losing it, crying and everything like that, because it's like, I can't believe my words what are healing me what's making me feel better and then i just kind of played it off and the thing about that is what's important for everybody to understand and it goes it goes hand in hand with publishing is everybody's going to tell you stats everybody's going to tell you how it works but here's the problem is they are all experts in what they have read what they think they know or what they're going to project on your life what they are not experts on is you and you are in control of your publishing career, you are in control of your life, and you are in control of being the creator of whatever it is you want to do. So for me, it was remission. It was the impossible that everybody told me was impossible. And so fast forward, I, I have all this stuff on iPad. As much as I'm all about digital stuff, I'm a, obviously, after I tell you this part, you'll be like, what an idiot. I'm an idiot when it comes to sharing things on the cloud. Cause I'm so like old school of like, Oh my God, I don't know what's out there. You know, what is the cloud? I had all these books on the cloud, including you know the stuff on Google, all this stuff. And I left it on a plane. And it was like three days later when I realized that I didn't have my iPad. And of course it's gone by then nothing's backed up. So I had, I think I had nine completed children's books on all there. Gone. All gone. Illustrations, everything. And it was like, oh God. And so I bought a new iPad and I use the cloud now. That's good. That's <laughs> and good my name's engraved. Yeah. My name and everything's engraved in the back. So I'm like, it's all good. And I rediscovered those notes. 
And I started cutting and pasting them all into one doc. And then I started writing the letter or the, the note of how I found it. And then before I knew it, I was like, this is the book. And then that evolution started and it kept coming. And what I was doing was the same approach that I took the children's books is how can I use this to heal myself? How can I use this to make what I want to see in the world be there? And so it became love. What is going to be coming out, I think in the spring is what we're going to, we're shooting for. It's called love future me. Um, and what I would do in all of these entries was there were two to three sentences max. Every single one of these were signed off love future me. And it is those things that, you know, those little signs from the universe that we all ignore that tell us like, yo, this is your path. Either you're going to take it or I'm going to keep kicking until you wake up to it. And for me, that's what it was. So to kind of bring a happy ending to all this stuff, December 12th, or sorry, December 22nd, 2022. So the one that just passed three days before Christmas, I had uh, MRI results. And, you know, this idea of remission, you know, they tell you that it doesn't exist with what I have and all that stuff like that. So before Dr. G's getting ready to walk out of the room, I was like, hey, just real quick, what do we call this thing now? I mean, I've had over a year at this point of clear scans. I've had, you know, no, no, nothing recurring. I have no side effects, no, whatever, literally just have a hole in my head. And I was like, can we call this remission now? And he just said, yeah, for you, we can, you know, and it's, it's hard to explain to people what the clarity comes from having a brain tumor. And I wish that I could give everybody that. And that's kind of what the mission I'm on now is with what I do for adults. It's to help people wake up through their lives, not to tell them how to live their life, but to see themselves through my stories. Me being willing to go there and explain to people that you are only controlled by you and you're not controlled by all the people that are going to tell you all the reasons why or all the things that makes your story different and all that crap like that. Because the truth is, is they have no right to tell you that stuff. You can't address the critics that are going to hate your book any more than you can address the critics that are going to hate the things you do in your life. They are doing that because of their own insecurities. They're not doing it because they hate you. They're not doing it because whatever story you're telling yourself, that story's on you. They're doing it because your growth scares the crap out of them because they don't know how to react if they're wrong. Mm. And if people can learn how to understand that, you won't be stuck when you sit down to do writer's block. You won't be stuck when you hit, go to hit publish on your books. You won't be stuck on all those things that are all telling you why it's better for that thing that's doing nothing for you sitting on Google Docs to stay there versus out in the world where it could actually find somebody that wants to read it. And that's kind of the mission now. It's it's to really bridge that gap between who I am and how I can leave an impact on the world. I don't think this thing is going to be what it takes me out. But if it is, it is, you know, but I know that I can control the impact I have now. And that's what I'm focused on. And so, you know, what we tend to do, the writers, I think, and the storytellers that are successful is they step into that fear. And they just say, you know what? I don't even know if this is right, but it feels right to me. And it's going to feel right to somebody else. Get really good at not caring about the people that don't care. And that's kind of what I learned from the book getting canceled was at first it was like, what, you know, like, and then 
here's a, here's another kicker of that whole book being canceled thing. You should read the reviews on go on Goodreads. How many people in the gay community are bashing my book because it does not tell a gay story. It so it's just proof that no matter what filter you bring it about in the world, people apply their own. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's. <laughs> There's, I mean, I can all, I just sit there and I listen and, you know, I have, again, this ability to know who you are even beyond this conversation. And I hope people go and they follow you because you, again, have had all these moments and some people have one moment and for reasons that the universe will never blatantly tell you, you've had multiple moments Mm -hmm. where your life has forced a pivot on you. And in this particular moment, when you learn about sort of this health experience that is going to transform your life, but you don't know exactly how yet, right? You didn't keep that experience to yourself. I'm sure there are many parts of it that you did not share on social media for your own reasons that are very legitimate, but you shared a lot of your experience and both the uplifting and the real. And anyone who is looking for a very honest and candid display, if that's that's not even the right word, sharing of what you went through during that time and how you're using that to not only write differently, but live differently, you know, they will be able to find your accounts and be able to sort of go back in time to see where it has taken you. Um, because while you say, right, you use the word remission, and I'm sure in all the medical sense, right, you have crossed incredible lines that they had not expect for you to be able to cross. You also visibly have some changes in your life that you have also adapted to, right? Like you, I watch you being physically active and I watch sort of new alternate, right? Accessories that you wear every day. And you share that information and you share those stories and you don't try to make it 100% sugar-coated, you're not glossing over them, but you're also saying, here's, I'm a living example of how you could live through them and with that. Um, And I just, it is such a testament to who you are. I appreciate that. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, life, life will hand you what it hands you. And it's up to us to write that story with it. This is what I, I love about storytelling. It's, you know, when these doctors were sitting there with me writing my ending, they didn't ask one simple question. What do you do? If they would have asked, they would have realized I was a storyteller. I know tons can happen between once upon a time in the end and the possibilities are only limited to myself. So if, if I can create this thing in me, I can also be the person that creates it to not come back. And that's what I chose to lean into. They can stick with their medical stuff and all that stuff like that. I'll stick with proving them wrong. And it's not out of an ego that I say that. It's I don't think it's healthy to sit there and be fueled by, I'm going to prove you wrong. But it is something there that gets you started. You know, like hope. Hope is a great drug. It'll get you through the starting gate every single time. But it will abandon you quicker than anything. And you have to be willing to step and move and every day adjust because the world is going to hand you stuff. And, you know, and it goes with like, you know, to kind of bring it 
that idea back to your public, the publishing world that you're talking about. It's don't think your first book is your best book. It's probably crap. Get on to writing your next one and then write the next one while you're writing the next one and just continue to write and write and write. Because the problem is, is that the only way you find your voice is to write. The only way that you figure out how to present, like you're talking about my stuff on camera was the only way I'm going to get good at this is if I actually do it, you know, and if I'm real about it, because I want people to pay attention, like how, you know, I don't want it to be something that just people go like, oh yeah, well, that guy's, I could care less about what I'm making off of it. What I'm, I want people to see themselves in what I'm going through to inspire them to do some stuff. Because just like when I was doing kids book stuff, my goal was that one day I'd have that one kid come up to me and say that book. I mean, if I could go back and tell Shel Silverstein what it felt like to read Where a Sidewalk Ends or Sid Hoff when I read Stanley for the first time and I felt like somebody understood me, these guys became my best friends from the get-go and I had never met them and never will. But that's the power that stories have for all of us. And if you're setting on a story and you're too afraid to publish it, why are you mad at the world? Like it's on you. It's not on everybody else. Like, and, and I think that, you know, there's so many good stories that are left untold. I mean, and if we can just understand that, like, not everybody's going to love it, you know, my, one of my favorite movies is Forrest Gump. I can't tell how many people tell me that is the dumbest movie in the world. Like, but you know what? Like, I, I love it. Like, why do I care? But, you know, <laughs> and I think that we just all get hung up on that stuff too much, you know, and it is about being honest with ourselves and, and calling ourselves on the BS. Like, you know, it's life sucks sometimes, but somehow you continue to get up every day. So like, if it sucks so much, how come you keep getting up? Well, yeah. like it's the same thing with anything you're trying to do. Like, don't just don't don't get stuck in your own BS story that you're telling yourself because it's quicksand. And, you know, um, the quicksand is only like a two foot pit. All you have to do is reach out to the sides and pull out of. But everybody thinks that there's no way out. It's like that kid splashing around in water and they're like, just stand up and you realize you could touch. You know, it's the same <laughs> idea. Like, stop making these stories bigger than they actually are and just start living. And you'll be amazed that the version you've been seeking this whole time has been staring you right in the face. Yeah. You have taught me that in my sort of creative aspects of my life. You know, I've had, I've always held a professional day job, if you will. And, you know, since you and I were introduced, it was developing kids' characters and looking at kids' content. And at one point, you were one of my greatest champions when I decided like, hey, I have this invention. Could I do a Kickstarter? And Jason was like, sure, you could. I'll help videotape you. And he helped me create a video that I was so embarrassingly intimidated <laughs> by creating. And when I watched myself after saying yes to doing the video, it was so bad. It was just so bad. I never used it. But... If I hadn't created the first video because of fear, I wouldn't have gone and created another one and used the characters that you and I created in order to launch a successful Kickstarter campaign, which again was like press, just press publish on that piece and then press publish on another piece. And so when you find the people in your life that say, just go press publish, 
Go see what happens. And it's going to be imperfect, but you're going to learn and it's going to lead you to the next is the whole point of me getting in self-publishing and offering this podcast because there is so much more on the other side of pushing the press publish button that you're like, what's there? And then Mm -hmm. you see where it takes you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, I could talk to you for so long. And I have no doubt that as people listen to our episode that they'll say like, wait a second, you guys fast forward through some pretty big chunks way too fast. And we'd love to have you come back. And you, I appreciate you trusting me to have this conversation and being so willing to share parts of your story, both as an author and a dad and a husband and a storyteller. And you really cover a lot of ground in this episode. And I appreciate your willingness to share. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm happy to help and good job on doing this. Good job, like pressing publish on it, right? You never know. You never know. So if people want to find you, how do they find you on social media or the web? Um, And let us know sort of the books that we should be looking out for the most from you. Yeah. So on the internet, super simple, probably the easiest way to get to all the social links is just go to jasontharp.com and they're all there and you can find them all. Or you just like search my name on any of the Instagrams and stuff and they're they're there too as well. I have a if you're looking for kids stuff, I would say the three the three ones that I would really look at is the best you, the inspiration fairy, and one that is the newest one called My Dreams for You. My Dreams for You is very dear near and dear to my heart because it was a letter that I wrote to myself as a kid, to my wife and my two boys that if all of a sudden I wasn't here. And that was kind of the weird irony of the whole thing was that was before the the diagnosis. But it's a very like extended almost like a hallmark card of all the things that you wish for somebody that is embarking on something new uh in the spring a future me will be coming out and i'm already in the process of writing the next adult book as well and then i will have soon uh july 12th i believe is our launch date for the power up project which will be a podcast and multiple other things that you know more to come follow me on social that's where you'll i'll start to unroll all those things out and start to to do those things but yeah and feel free to reach out anybody listening to like, you know, you're not alone. Like I've done and been through all this stuff. And while I might not get right back to your message, understand that like I will eventually and, and I'm rooting you all on because that's, we're all in this together, just trying to figure out how to be a human and not mess up too much. And it's okay to mess up too, just like you said. So just keep moving forward one step at a time. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, my friend. I greatly appreciate it. And I cannot wait to have more people find you because I swear I tell your story all the time in different facets. So to be able to share it in a completely new way on a podcast is such a joy. Thank you for having me. Okay, friend, are you ready to share one piece of content you've been holding back on? Trust your instincts and press publish. If this episode sparked curiosity in your publishing journey, head over to thehabitizedlife.com for more resources. Or check out the after show with our guests on Instagram at Habitized Life. All the links mentioned today are in our show notes. And hey, I'm off to reheat my cup of coffee for the second time today, but I'll meet you back here next week with a fresh cup and a new episode.